Okay, everyone, good evening. Late start, but there we are. Parsha in my life class. Tonight's class has been dedicated by Rifki Katz in honor of her birthday. May Hashem bench her with abundant, abundant, abundant brachas. Brachas Advali die. Literally without an end. Of all, first of all, a good gebenched year, good health, a lot of nachas and the children and family, Parnasa Barchava, a lot of Parnasa, and only, only good, and the ultimate wish of your heart, in which is inspiration you bring to, to literally to thousands of people, is to yearn for the Giyula, yearn for Mashiach with all one's heart and all one's being. Uh, but the reward for that is only one thing, and that is the coming of Mashiach. And let it be with ease. And with with mazel and with bracha. Okay. Happy birthday. Thank you for the dedication. Now we're ready to go. We are also, we should, should be a, a schus for Shalema. Should be a schus for the Fuah Shalema. Moshe David. Hold on over here. Just give me a minute. Moshe David Akayin. I think Ben. Oh, Moshe David Akayin. Ben Etel Nechama. Have a complete, a complete, a complete refuah shalema. Complete refuah. Okay. So today's shir. Interesting topics. We're going to find out secret regarding certain mitzvahs. And their condition when the Mashiach comes. You might, if you stick around to the end of the class, you might find out some pretty interesting things about certain mitzvot. That uh, so much part of Judaism, which might change after Mashiach comes. And um, might become permit something that's forbidden. I'm not going to tell you what, but it's forbidden. And um, will be permitted when Mashiach comes. And uh, it's interesting. I never knew that till now. Till today, so that's interesting. But we're also going to explore some really, really great uh, the phenomenon of the mixtures. The Torah talks this week in Parshas Kitetze. There's a whole lot of uh, commandments in general, and amongst the commandments, part of the pro- prohibited commandments mentioned in this week's Torah portion are uh, regarding mixtures that are forbidden. Meaning, there are certain things. Lobster is inherently forbidden. Um, shellfish are inherently forbidden. Um, you know, insects and all these other non-kosher food inherently forbidden in terms of food. And there are certain things that are inherently forbidden um, in other aspects of life. And there are those mitzvot and commandments Which means that in essentially each one on their own is kosher and it's okay. But the mix of it is forbidden. So this week's in the Torah portion, it mentions three of them together, where the prohibition is the mixing of two entities together. And it is in vegetation and in animal, um, in terms of animal, and also in clothing. And it's, the Torah mentions 
these three prohibitions together in actually I think in three places, or at least in two no, two places, where the Torah mentions the Torah lumps, even though they're separate prohibitions, but since they're all similar in content, they're all stated um, consecutively uh, together. So let me let's read it this week's this week's Torah portion. This is in Parshas Kiseitze, which is in Sefer Devarim. A Perik Chavbeis, Pasuk Tes, Deuteronomy, chapter 22, verse number 9. It starts with the prohibition against planting various different things, uh, different uh, different plants that are not allowed to be planted together. So, uh, you're not allowed to plant your vineyard, kalayim, a mixture. What does it mean? You're not allowed to put grains in a vineyard. You're not allowed to plant, as Rashi says, wheat, barley, and um, together with a grape seed, all together. Put them all into one, one, one place. And that's a mixture where you're mixing the vine together with the grains. There's also a, a prohibition of vegetables and mixing it with the vine and so on, with, with vineyards and so on and so forth. And the laws of... Uh, uh, of of it's in, in in this is called kilayim. The prohibitions expand into many different areas of vegetation. Well, tonight, tonight's class is not a halachic discussion. I'm just mentioning the general idea of the mitzvah. So this uh, mixture is prohibited. So this is a prohibition regarding planting. And what happens if you do plant that? The outcome, the mixed plant that grew, is prohibited. And it's completely prohibited. I think you're not allowed to have any benefit from it. It has to be burnt, destroyed. It becomes completely, um, a, it becomes an entity of, it's a non-kosher entity. Fine. Then the, the verse continues in the next Pasuk, Pasuk Yud. You're not allowed to take an ox and a donkey, two types of animals, and plow a field Together, both of them together. <coughs> That's the prohibition of utilizing two different types of animals and doing one one work where they're pulling the plow. So if you want to pull a plow, you can use two donkeys. You can use two oxen. But you can't use a donkey and an ox or a horse and a donkey or a horse and an ox uh, to do the work. It has to be either or. You can't mix them together. Now, over here in our Torah portion, it only mentions... Um, this type of a coming together by them doing these two animals engaging in one in one um, in one task. Uh, however, in Parshas Kedoshim, you have another aspect to this mitzvah, which is let me tell you here the Parshas Kedoshim, which is in Leviticus in Vayikra. Over there it says, it actually the it says, your animals, you may not crossbreed your animals. Which means taking two different species of animals and uh, bringing them together uh, so that they will breed and give birth to a third type of an animal. So you're not allowed to create a this mixture by crossbreeding the animal. In our Torah portion, it doesn't mention that. It mentions just plowing with them. 
But as the commentators explain, that the prohibition against plowing with two animals together is a derivative, the main prohibition is to crossbreed the animals. Hashem will speak about it. God wants the animals, each one, to procreate, and they should procreate each one in their pure form of who they are and what they are. And when one is crossbreeding, then you're bringing about new species God didn't create it, God didn't ask you to do that. We'll talk about that later. And so the the, the essential prohibition really is the is the is the crossbreeding. A derivative of that, which is which is also biblical, is that you're not allowed to plow with the two animals together. Even though you're not crossbreeding them, you're just doing a task together. But as commentators explain. The reason, you, you know, even though the commandments are beyond our understanding, but we hear they give an explanation. And what's the explanation? Because usually, if you use on the farm, if you're using different animals, you're going to keep these animals together in one place because these are your, these are your work animals. So you're going to keep them in one pen in one closed off area, and as a result of that, it's going to come to crossbreeding one type with another type, which is so so much God doesn't want that you should mix the animals types together, and for that reason, um, we have to, um, we're not allowed to even do something which will lead us to that state. So don't plow with animals together. Fine. So that's the second category. Can, even though I mentioned two prohibitions, but the two prohibitions are really in the same category. It's regarding mixing different types of animal, And it involves two prohibitions. One is in labor, in work, and the other one is the actual mixture regarding their offspring. Okay, and now we go to the third one, which says over here in the Torah, Ubeget Kalayim, no, here, I'm sorry, in our parsha, in Kiseitse, Loisilba Shatnes, you're not allowed to wear Shatnes. What's Shatnes? When you buy a new garment, everybody knows you got to check the garment for Shatnes. What is that? Semer Upishtim Yachto, wool and linen together. A Jew may not wear. Any garment that is mixed is made up, the, the fabric is made up of a blend of wool and linen together. It was funny. The other week I was in, um, I went away for, for a couple of days. I was staying in an Airbnb and um, there was a book there about the house. And it was speaking about like the special bed that they have. And in the book it was talking about, it said that the bed, this is the whole literature about the bed, that the bed is made up of wool and linen. So right away I said, oh my, this is a big problem. Are you allowed to sleep on wool and linen? It, you know, you're not allowed to use it as a garment, but you're not supposed to really lie down on top. It was a whole situation. Then I think it was my wife. My wife figured out that, no, it's not talking about the actual bed. It's the same company that makes the thing. She was reading about it a little more. It wasn't saying about the bed that there is, but something that they make, which is wool and linen. They're talking about all the unique fabric that they use and all that. It wasn't the – but that's a prohibition. you got to be careful. So um, many fine Italian suits are actually done with some linen in it. So the Jewish custom is – it's not just a custom. When you buy – a garment, especially a significant garment, a suit or a dress and something like that, you take it to a special uh, Jewish agency that have the know-how and then understand exactly what, how, where to look 
and to be able to detect what is linen. They open it up in a few different places. They inspect, and then they actually give you a label, which it says, it is kosher. And once in a while, you get a frustrating story. It's not so frustrating because you got a chance to fulfill a mitzvah where you bought your favorite suit, your favorite dress, or you're looking for a long time and you finally found the dress that fits and you like it, and it's good for your sister-in-law's wedding or your niece's wedding, and you're all excited. Then you went and you checked it for shotness, and you find out non-kosher. Sometimes the shotness is just very little bit, so you can take it out. But some, like sometimes they use, let's say, in a collar in the back, they put a little uh, whatever. But sometimes it's serious blend, and then you can't do anything but return it. And hopefully you have a return policy in the store that you can give it back. So that's the way it's, so this is very uh, practical element in Jewish life about we don't wear wool and linen together. Now the common denominator between all these mitzvot are, they are all mitzvot involving different types of species or entities, which each on their own, there is no problem wearing a 100% wool suit. There's no problem wearing a linen garment. The problem is when you mix them together. Now, as I mentioned in this week's parasha, these three mitzvot regarding plant, regarding animal, regarding clothing, are all three lumped together. And the same is also in Vayikra and Kadoshim, these three mitzvot are also lumped together, even though over there it's said in a slightly different order. Over here it starts with plant, animal, and clothing. Over there it starts with animal, plant, and clothing. Fine. Now, there is a fourth commandment, which is not stated together. It's an independent commandment, also something that everybody's very familiar with. It's not stated over here, but as explained by the commentators, that the prohibition over there is the same idea, and obviously it makes a lot of sense. And that is the mixture of milk and meat which obviously makes up so much of the Jewish kitchen, the Jewish diet, where we do not mix milk and meat together. Dairy and meat products don't go together. So much so that when we eat meat, we wait six hours. A lot of people wait. Most people, most Jews will keep wait. Some have a leniency, a little less, but whatever it is, six hours in which we do not eat. You know, you ate a little piece of chicken. Or you ate, okay, chicken really is only rabbinic, but still, but even that, but you eat a little piece of meat, and then if you want something dairy, even just a little butter cookie that was made with a little butter or was made whatever, or cheese danish, or whatever it is that you want, or a little coffee with milk, can't do it for until six hours pass. And then, that's one of the things, is Jewish life, you look at the clock, six hours already, oh, now I can have my coffee. If you want to have coffee with dairy creamer. All right. So that's the rule. Now, same idea. Milk is kosher. Meat, if it's slaughtered properly and it's the right kind of meat, it's also kosher. But even kosher milk and kosher meat together, if you mix them together, it doesn't work. Now, we hear the prohibition is, similar to what we said by animals, it's on a few different levels. You're not allowed to cook it together. You're not allowed to eat it. If you cooked it, you're not allowed to eat it. And either you're allowed, not allowed to have any benefit from it. Milk and meat together has to be thrown away. That's the way it works. These are the mitzvot associating with mixed entities.
Now, let's take a look and find that there is a some interesting exceptions. When it comes to clothing of wool and linen, the exception we find that there is a time when it is permitted. When is it permitted? There is a mitzvah, a commandment, in which a every which Jew, Jewish men fulfill, Jewish boys, all Jewish males, is they wear tzitzis. Tzitzis is the one more, more commonly known as the talit. Talit is a a prayer scarf, or but actually we wear it all day long. It's on every four four cornered garment you put tzitzis. The tzitzis are the fringes that hang down at the corners of the garment. So the law is that in tzitzis, the fringes have to be made out of wool. What do I mean the fringes themselves have to be made out of wool? When you're making tzitzis the way it really is supposed to be made, today's days we don't, most people don't do it the way it's supposed to be made because there's there's a certain ingredient that is not available today. Some people argue that today's days we did find out what that is and it is available, but most Jews don't wear it that way yet. And that is to add one string that most of them are white fringes, but one of them has to be dyed with a certain type of a blue, a certain type of blue called techeles, and that Now that dye only works on wool. The white fringes can be made from different, different material, but the, the, the techeles must be wool. Now what happens if you have a linen garment? You're wearing a, lin- a linen talit? You got a nice garment made out of linen. And if it's a four-corner garment. You want to put on the fringes. So the rest of the fringes, hypothetically, you can put on linen fringes. That would be fine. But since for the blue wool, you would need to have wool. So now you will tie on, onto the corner of the garment, wool, a wool thread, a wool uh, piece of, uh, you know, string, which is now tied, and again, wool and linen coming together on a garment is even just tying it to it is also prohibited. So in this case, it would be shotness, which means the forbidden mixture. Are we or are we not allowed to? So the answer is we are allowed to. We are. The Torah allows us to wear tzitzis with uh, wool and linen together. That's an exception. It's a biblical prohibition, and yet it's a biblical commandment that in the midst of tzitzis, wool and linen is allowed to be worn together. Um, practically, it would not be done. I think the I think the rabbis prohibited, if I remember correctly. Practically. So as I told you earlier, most people don't wear the blue, the, the blue today anyways because we don't have a tradition of how you get that blue these days. It was something that in the times of the temple, they, the, the knowledge of the, Jewish, of the Jewish people then was they knew how to do it, where it comes from, from to dye that they produce from the certain type of a fish. They had it then, somehow it got lost. There are Jews today that have maybe used certain DNA testing and they have discovered that they can get that dye. And there are many Jews you'll see who wear the breast of Hasidim, wear it. Many other people wear 
of the blue, of the blue. others uh, and most Jews who even though they keep all the mitzvot are purposely not wearing it and they say we will bring back the blue fringe when Mashiach comes but even if you are wearing the blue the dyed wool and if you have a linen garment it's not recommended to do it it's actually prohibited even though according to the Torah it's a commandment and you're supposed to the rabbis said we should. The reason is, if I, if I remember correctly, this was stated in Rambam. I didn't look it up today. I'm just going. The reason is because tzitzis, you're not obligated to wear at night. Tzitzis is only during the day, not at night. There's no commandment because the verse says you should see the tzitzis. Or the isam oisa, you should see it. So the sages derive, since nighttime is dark, and nighttime is not a time of vision. It's a time when you can't see on its own unless you turn on the light. So since night is not a time of vision, you, where you don't have to wear the tzitzis. But what happens to people? People are forgetful. So what would happen to a person if he's wearing a linen garment? He would really, if he wants, he, if he, he's during the daytime, he would be allowed to be wearing the tzitzis on the linen garment because the Torah is sanctioning it as a commandment, as a mitzvah. And the mitzvah overrides the prohibition. But the moment the sun goes down and starts getting night, it's no more a mitzvah. Torah is not obligating you. But if he continues wearing the tzitzis, so he's doing the prohibition without gaining the commandment. See, most people don't take off their tzitzis. We don't, it's not a prohibition to wear tzitzis at night. You see, I have my tzitzis on right now. It's nighttime. Not a prohibition. It's just we're not obligated. So it's no mitzvah. But it's also not a, it's not a, uh, it's not a prohibition. So most people continue wearing it. It's actually a more Kabbalistic and Hasidic custom for sure to even sleep with the tzitzis, never to remove it. I mean, unless uh, changing, but other than that, you never, re- you always wear the tzitzis. So you sleep with it at night. You're not doing the mitzvah. And if you'd be willing, the, if we would be wearing wool and linen together, you would be in violation of. That's why the sages said that just don't wear a linen garment with four corners. Basic. That's the way you resolve it. Don't wear a linen garment with four corners because then you're going to have to be wearing the tzitzis and you're not allowed to. Okay. But basically what we see from here is that regarding the prohibition of mixing wool and linen, it is permitted in it is permitted in the by the mitzvah of tzitzis, essentially. It is permitted by the mitzvah. It is also permitted. Another example of when it is permitted is for the priests, for the Kohanim in the Beis HaMikdash. One of the garments that the Kohanim wore, that the priests wore, they wore special priestly garments. We were learning about them in a class a couple of months ago. Actually, I never finished that class. Um, One of the guilts that I'm walking with, around with. But in any case, um, one of the garments that the Ko- the Kohen wore was a belt, a special belt that wrapped around the person like a bunch of times. That belt, that gartel, was called an avnate, was made up of a mixture of wool and linen. And the Kohanim, you know, had the mitzvah, the commandment to wear it. And when the temple is going to be restored, the Kohen again will wear the shotness, the wool and linen together. Okay, so here we have a mixture 
that is generally forbidden, but we see that in a mitzvah and in the temple, it was permitted. So here's the question we ask. How come the other forms of mixtures, we don't find that the Torah permits it in a mitzvah? We don't find that the Torah permits in a mitzvah cross-beating of an animal. You know, if you want to bring a very unique type of sacrifice to the temple. So you say, you know, there is a sheep offering and there's a goat offering. I have a good idea. I'm going to take a female sheep and a male goat, crossbreed them. We're going to get a little baby that's both a sheep and a goat. And I'm going to bring this so it will be a nice, unless you can't make up your mind if you want to bring the sheep or the goat, back and forth, back and forth, whatever reason. And, 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 and you decide that, you know what, you want to bring both. And how to do it, you're mixing together and then the baby you will bring. The law is we don't offer that in the temple. First of all, you did a prohibition. Even if your intentions were for on the high, it, it is a prohibition. And if the person was warned by two witnesses, they would be receiving lashes for crossbreeding the animal. It's a prohibition. Um, and it's not permitted in the holy temple. And we don't find any mitzvah with crossbreeding of animals are, are okay. Regarding planting, it's the same thing. We never have a mitzvah in where we say that taking vines with uh, grains and mixing them together and, uh, you know, Pesach, I'll give an example. We have a mitzvah to eat matzah and we have a mitzvah to drink four cups of wine. So someone in order for his Pesach Seder will say, wow, so matzah comes from grain and wine comes from grapes. Let me create a hybrid. We'll make a matzah grape. Uh, a matzah grape juice over here, a matzah wine entity. And uh, I will have my Seder with this unique thing which combines both the mitzvahs into one. There's no such permission. You cannot do it. It's still pro- prohibited. So the question over here is philosophically, it's really only a philosophical question. Obviously, the mitzvahs are God's commandments and we don't understand them, especially these mitzvahs are called chukim. Chukim means they are higher than human logic. Yet, Perhaps there is some kind of an understanding that we can understand how come from all the mitzvah in which mixtures are prohibited, only one of them is singled out in which we say that it is it is which is the, the by the clothing, by the garments, that wool and linen is permitted in the in a mitzvah form. Again, not all mitzvot, but in the mitzvah of tzitzis and in the mitzvah of the um, kohen serving, officiating in the temple where they wore garments mixed wool on it. Why is that one different than the others? Now, let me, let's take a look at milk and meat. Is milk and meat ever permitted for a mitzvah? Can you mix together or cook milk and meat together for a mitzvah? And the answer is no, you can't. How about in the temple? Did they ever mix milk and meat together? So here you find something interesting. There's a midrash called Mechilta. And that midrash is the midrash on Shmois, on Exodus. And at the end of Pashas Mishpatim, where it discusses the mitzvah of mixing milk and meat, the prohibition against mixing the mixture of milk and meat together, the Mechilta asks the question, 
Um, maybe for the temple it should be okay. It asked the question, maybe it should be okay. You should be allowed to. So the Mechilta brings a verse over here that derives from these words. Hold on. It says in the in, in, in Parshas Mishpatim, this is again in, in, in Shemois, Reishis Bikurei Admascha, Tavi Beis Hashem Alekech, the first fruits you should bring to the house of God, you're not allowed to cook a young kid in the milk of its mother. You're not allowed to, which from here we arrived, that you're not allowed to mix milk and meat together. The sages explain that the kid doesn't only mean a kid, and the mother is not only the mother. Any type of animal, meat and milk, don't go together. Okay? So the sages derive. Because it says do not cook um, the meat and the milk together. Immediately after the words, the first fruits you should bring to the house of God. So we see from here that even in the house of Hashem, don't mix milk and meat together. So what do we find then regarding this fourth mixture, which is milk and meat together? That it is similar to the, which what we find is that it doesn't have an exception. It too is prohibited in all cases, even in the temple. However, what makes it different than the other two types, which are plant mixing and animal crossbreeding of animals, is that over there we don't find even that the sages even have a possible thought that it would be permitted in the temple. Over there it's a given that it's not permitted. We don't even they don't need they don't even entertain the question. No one ever brings it up. It's prohibited and it's prohibited. By tzitzis, I'm sorry, by shotness, which is clothing mixing, the mixing of garments, wool and linen. Over there we have a biblical verse that teaches us that it's permitted in the temple. And we have a, a, a biblical verse actually in our parsha that teaches us that it's permitted in the tzitzis. Where do we know that it's permitted in tzitzis, by the way? Because right after, I'll read you an hour Torah portion, it says, don't wear a mix of wool and linen. of wool and linen together. And the next verse says, gedilim strings you should make for yourself. So since it says uh, together, don't mix milk and uh, um, and then immediately after, gedilim make tzitzis. It teaches you that the only exception where you're allowed to have wool and linen together is in the fringes in the tzitzis. Okay. So, so let's see like this. Regarding the mixture of garments, we find that it, in certain cases, generally regarding matters of holiness, the mitzvah of tzitzis and in the temple service, it was permitted. Regarding the other mixtures, we find that they're pro- prohibited in all cases, temple, mitzvah, or not. However, one of the other three stand out. In which one? Milk and meat, in which at least there is a thought 
that it should be permitted, and then we have a clear um, a clear indication in the verse saying that no, it's not permitted. So what we really find over here is we have three categories in mixtures. One category of mixture is completely prohibited in all cases. The other um, category of a mixture is a mixture that's also prohibited in all cases, but it seems to be a little lighter. That's why it seems to have a little wiggle room. For that reason, we're at least thinking that maybe it's permitted in a certain case, but yet the final verdict is no. And then we have one that has exemptions. So now we need to understand why is that. Where this is going to, which obviously this is going to go to, is that the severity of the mixture and the prohibition regarding the mixture is different in these cases. So where the mixture, as we're soon going to see, is very severe, the prohibition on the mixture is very severe, there's no exemptions. Where the mixture is less severe, as we're going to see, there is an exemption. And where it's mediocre, it's kind of medium, over there there is, inter- there is an inter- there we can possibly think that it's permitted, but yet it's not permitted. And this is going to give us a big understanding in the whole concept of mixing things in this world, as we're still going to see. Now, one more very important, interesting idea. As I told you earlier that we're going to find out that something that it says, you don't find this in the Talmud, and I don't know who, where his source is, but Rabbeinu Bachaya, who is a great, reliable source, a great Kabbalist, and was one of the Roshonim way back, one of the great commentators of the Chumash. I think he lived in the 11th century or the 12th century, not exactly sure, or the 13th century. But Rabbeinu Bachaya states an interesting thing, that after the coming of Mashiach, it will be lifted the prohibition against milk and meat. Now, again, I am not sure, and this is, I have to be careful. I was going to start my class with the stunning statement of having cheeseburgers after Mashiach comes and bacon and eggs because Chazar is going to become Tahar. I was going to start the class that way to, you know, to kind of draw everybody in. But as I was walking over here, my coffee spilled. I was taking a coffee. And right away, I'm thinking in my head, why did the coffee spill? I'm thinking, because God doesn't like that I'm starting up with the mitzvahs and throwing them around. Like, oh, Mashiach comes. And we it's like, I realized I, I should take it easy. Don't start with the bacon and eggs. Don't start with the, with the, with the, with, with, with milk and meat prohibited. And people might say, well, we're living in Mashiach's days already. We can have it so that tomorrow I'm going to McDonald's. See, McDonald's will still not be kosher because the meat is not kosher. But the concept of mixing <laughs> the milk and meat together. Um, so I'm not, first of all, I don't know what Rabbeinu Bachaya means. If it, uh, if it means a literally when Mashiach comes, it means that the moment the temple is standing in Jerusalem, it's permitted. Or it means eventually at a later time. I'm not exactly sure what he means. But he definitely says that it will come a future time in which milk and meat will be permitted. I'm going to read it to you. So that I, I don't, uh, don't think I'm saying this on my own. Rabbeinu Bachaya over here. Where is it? 
Elo man at that time, Shekain Yia Isser Basar Vachalov Bottle. Because the prohibition against milk and meat in that time, which is referring to, he's talking about the future time when God will also reveal the reason why it was forbidden. And at that time, he said, which is in the days of the future, in that time, milk and meat will become permitted. Again. So, what is the, what is the inside dynamics for this? We don't find that the other prohibitions of crossbreeding will be permitted. We don't find that crossbreeding of animals will be permitted. And we don't find that mixing vines and different types of uh, planting uh, thing will be permitted. But this mitzvah is regarding regarding um, shotness, wool and linen oh, is, is, is we'll, we'll mention that at the end of the class, if that's permitted in the days of Mashiach. Doesn't say anywhere that it's permitted. However, the Rebbe, after he discusses all of this, leaves it with a question. That based on the explanation that he's given, we should also say that wool and linen shotness should be permitted. He doesn't say it as a statement. He just says that's the way conceptually it should come out. So let's explore all this, this and see if we can come up, excuse me, with some kind of an understanding for this, for the differences and the dynamics of what's going on over here. So we start with a interesting um, take by Nachmanides, Ramban. Ramban in Parshas Kedoshim, this is, not, this is not in our parsha. this is in, again, Leviticus chapter 19, where over there it talks also about the three prohibitions. And Ramban says, that it says that some of these commandments are called statutes, and the mitzvahs that are called statutes, which are called chukim, they're super-logical commandments, and the sages say about them that the nations in the world poke fun of the Jewish people that they have ridiculous commandments. Things that don't make any sense. Generally, the Torah brings admiration. So much of the Torah makes so much sense. The Most of civilization today follows so much of their civilized um, conduct based on the Jewish values of the Torah as in, instilled in the world ways good morals and ethics and so on and so forth. So, so many commandments make perfect sense. But then there are those commandments that raise the eyebrows, that they seem to be like, for what purpose? So, one of the things that are included in those weird commandments that don't make, that seem not to be, make any sense, is the commandment regarding um, the mixture of of the species these mixtures that are forbidden it says that the nations tease the jewish people and say you guys are fanatics there's no logic behind it give us a reason for it It doesn't make any sense who's being insulted who's being offended offended what are you doing what who are you harming by doing this it's not that it's physically unhealthy so what's happening over here why why is this prohibited so nachmanides says that this that the sages say 
that the nations poke fun of the Jewish people regarding the mitzvah of kilayim, the mixture of mixing things together, only applies to the prohibition of mixing various different types of clothing, the wool and the linen. The wool and the linen. The mixture of the wool and the linen is something that is that's that that is incomprehensible to the point that others will laugh at it. However, he says. The commandments of not crossbreeding animals or plants. One with, he's not talking about milk and meat, but he's talking about the other two that we mentioned earlier that are stated together: mixing of um, mixing plants and crossbreeding animals. Those things he says are logically understood, and he explains why. What's the logic behind them? And he says, "Let me read it to you." Give me a second here. The reason that there is in Kalayim, God created various different species in the world, and all living entities, but amongst plants that are alive, and in animals that have a, a a moving soul, which is what it means is in the animal kingdom. God gave in each of them the power to reproduce. God put the power of reproduction into the animals. In order to assure the continuity and the pers- and the preserving of the species. God wants the world and God wants the continuation of the world. Hashem created things that they should last as long as he wants the world to be in existence. As long as God wants the world to exist. We don't have actually a contract with God, how long God wants the world to exist. It's an interesting idea. From God's perspective, is from Torah perspective, is it possible that God will undo creation one day? He created it. Can he undo it? So it's interesting that in, in biblical and in Talmudic study, there is really no statement that, to the contrary, actually there are certain statements in the sages that seem that the world will be this dismantled or this uncreated at a certain time. However, based on Hasidic teaching, Kabbalistic teaching, and so on and so forth, the worlds on their own could essentially come to a non-existent, you know, be undone. But as, a, but as a result of our work of bringing God down to live and to manifest and to attach itself to this physical world, once because God is eternal and the physical world becomes completely submerged and it becomes so identified with God, so as God is forever, the worlds also experience and are exist on onto infinity. So but the words of Maimonides, the words of Nachmanides is as long as God wants the worlds to exist. Okay. In any case, God wants the continuation of the creations that he created. How does he do that? So in the angels above and creatures in, in heaven, he gives them longevity that they live and live and live and they don't die. However, in creatures down here in our world, the creatures do, do die, but then they are replaced. How are they replaced? By their offspring. And they continue. So in 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 um, 
in plants, he gave them seeds. And, you know, when you read uh, the, the, a little bit about the, the, the botanical world and the incredible, incredible wisdom that there is, that God has put into all these various different plants, and that they, sometimes we think, okay, they have seeds, they fall to the ground, but each one has its own shtick, if you can call it. Each one has its own cool stuff that it does to make sure that plants are in competition one with each other to get extra sunlight, and they climb up, and how to preserve. I was watching, we were, I was a couple of weeks ago, I was away, so I was in this rainforest, and there was, um, the guy was showing us a tree where the tree creates a big, not the tree, God creates, but for the tree, there is like a, 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 a big pocket that it has at the bottom. And what it does as a result of that, things fall into it. And the tree then sits in the earth. It gets disintegrates. And the tree takes nourishment from the things that fall into it, whether the whole like, and, and like so many different trees, they have different methods of making sure. It's almost like God gave them a responsibility to make sure that they they have offspring, just like God told humans, get married, have children. Um, it's a responsibility on us to preserve for the next generation. So, Nachmanri says, Hashem and God gave them, gave all animals and all plants the ability to reproduce. But how did God want it to be done? That they should stick to their own kind. So that this particular species of plant or species of animal should continue. It should not be changed. And that's why we find by creation, in the story of Genesis, when God creates, God always said, by all plants and by animals, that you should produce seeds and you should um, uh, grow liminehu to your own species, to your own type. Stick with your own. Don't try to make yourself somebody else. Don't arrive at an identity crisis where you get to start choosing your identity that you're not who you are and now you're someone else, right? All this mishigas that we're seeing in the world hitting humans now. Um, God tells the plants and God tells the animals, stick to the way I created you. And therefore, he doesn't want humans to mix in and start creating new forms and thereby maybe two things. First of all, God says, I never asked you to create this new creature. Now, this is a very tricky thing. Let's understand this. Hashem doesn't want us to leave the world untouched. God asked man to become his partner and to improve the world. So God is not upset that we take wheat and we turn it into bread. God says, you know, I made wheat, eat the wheat. Don't say that. Actually, the verse says God created the world. The last words in creation, in the story of creation, that God created lasos, Lassos means litakain, to fix. So God wants us to fix. And one of the proofs that God wants us to, to fix things that God created things in an unfixed state is from the fact that God created a human being uncircumcised and then he commanded Abraham and then it's a commandment, at least for the Jewish people, to circumcise. The idea of the circumcision is it brings a completion. 
So what you see from here is that there is God created one way and God says, I know I create, I created something unfinished and I want you to finish. And that God is not upset with all the enormous improvements we've done in the world and um, to make life, you know, easier and more pleasant and more comfortable. God wants us to be very comfortable and very pleasant and live a very happy, healthy life. So all the improvements. And when God brings, when there's an illness and someone like this, and there's healing, medicinal medications and so on and so forth, in which we apply to heal, we're not supposed to say God made the person ill and let him. There's a commandment. God says, here there's a commandment. God says, I want you to improve. I want you to, to do whatever it can to improve my, my, my world. But then there are certain times where God says, you know, not all improvements I'm looking for. I don't want you to make certain things I don't. And one of the things God told us specifically, he doesn't want us to create new species in plants and in animals. So leave them as they are. Don't crossbreed. Don't mix the various plants. That's what Maimonides says. I'm sorry, Nachmanides. Okay. That's the idea. And when you do that, he says, when you do crossbreed animals or things, you are changing also you are weakening the planet if you're looking for a source for the fact that you know we are responsible for the planet and we should be careful not to weaken the planet there's a good source where God we're crossbreeding and things like that are things that are weakening the world because it's diminishing various it might it might cause for a species to become extinct because as a result of crossbreeding of, of it, and so on and so forth. Therefore, leave it as it is. That's what my that's what Nachmanri said. Now, this would apply to what? To what type of mixture would this apply? This would apply to the crossbreeding of animals and to the crossbreeding of plants. But now let's analyze for a moment when you're taking wool and linen together and you're making a garden. What are you threatening? The continuity of wool and linen. You're not meddling with the if you took a linen plant, why let's a plant and you're planting it in a way where you know, you're weakening. It's not going to be linen anymore. That's one story. You're taking something that's already disconnected from the ground. It's not a living entity already, the linen. The the wool has been shorn off already from the from the um, from the sheep. You're putting it together. And more than that, you're not even tapping the inner DNA of the wool and the linen. Think about it. What are you doing? You're not changing the when you're creating a new breed, when you're breeding a new animal, a new a new a new a new species. So now you're mixing, you're messing with the DNA structure of, of this, which, by the way, is what makes me personally, I know this is very controversial, I hope they don't take me off YouTube for this, where I'm so uncomfortable with the, with, the, with, the, with, the, with the vax, with the COVID vax. I'm not telling anybody what to do. Everybody ask your own opinion, ask your doctor, ask your thing. I personally didn't take it, and I thank you, and I'm, I'm uncomfortable with meddling on a cellular level with the way genetics that God created us. And even if 
you know, this company scientist says it's okay. Do I know what's going to be okay in 50 years from now? I don't know. So, and, and here's a good question. I'm going to say it's a very good question because it's a, it's a, the, the seriousness of the question is since the Torah gave permission, God gave permission for doctors to heal. So what happens when the healing process, let's say I'm not getting into all the stuff going around, whether whether this is a, what's going on in the world with this whole thing is kosher or not. That's all real relevant. The question is, if doctors have a permission and an ability to heal, which means God allows a doctor to meddle with the structure of the body, does that apply even when medical experiences are beginning to alter on such a deep level of existence? Yes or no? I'm not a, I'm not a halachic authority. I'm not going to tell you. I just can tell you personally why it would be something that would make that should make everybody uncomfortable. And if you decide that what that because it's there's this terrible you know threat of COVID and so on and so forth that could bring about God forbid uh, you know the opposite of life like the Rebbe the Rebbe would never say death the Rebbe always said the opposite of life because he never wanted to say anything negative so maybe that overrides and in this case yeah you could mess with the with the DNA whatever it is when you're mixing okay I hope I don't distract everybody because I want you to focus on this this is a very hot topic. And a very, uh, a very, a very emotional topic by most people, because depending on which side of the aisle you are, the believer in the vaccinations or not. So I don't want you, your minds off. Let's forget about that for a moment. Let's come back now to the discussion that we're talking about. When you're mixing animals and in in terms of their in their 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 reproduction, or in plants, you're actually getting into the very DNA, into the very substance of the entity. And you're causing a change in the very fabric of creation and the fabric of existence. When you're mixing milk and meat together, it's like making lemonade. You're mixing sugar and 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 uh, and lemon. Did you change the very the, on the molecular level? No, you're mixing it together, big deal. And even more than that, hypothetically, you can separate them. Because you know, if you if you if you're putting linen threads and and like like I said earlier, when you go to a shotness laboratory where you're inspecting your garment, if they find a shotness, they take it out. Or sometimes they take it. Sometimes they tell you they can't. Because sometimes they tell you that if they take it out, they'll destroy the whole garment. Fine. But even then, you could separate it. Once you created this new type of creature that comes from two different types of animals, a new type of creature, and there's no way to undo that. Once this new entity was created, once this new plant, a new fruit was created, new plant was created, this hybrid, right? Oh, by the way, they always create, they always plant, there's always these new fruits that come out, which are mixes. Um, it's not prohibited. When I'm saying it's not prohibited, meaning we are allowed to eat the fruits that are mixed. So um, what, what do you have over here? Oh, yeah, one of my favorites. I'm going to tell you a good one. I think it's an amazing blend. They have the plum cut, which is a a combination of an apricot and a plum. I like plums and I love apricots, so they'll work together really well. So I say, wow, what an amazing – and it, there's no prohibition of eating it. The prohibition of planting it, I think in Israel, there might be – it might be different in Israel or outside of Israel. These are lots of halakhs, and I don't want to be ignorant over here publicly. I don't remember the laws. 
uh, regarding it, but it's for sure kosher and it's not a problem. However, regarding the vine and the and the grains, regarding the animals and the, the various different crossbreeds of various different types of animals, these mixtures the Torah has forbid, for, prohibited and based on Nachmanides, it's because you are changing the nature of existence that God created. As a result of that, we will understand why wool and linen is a much weaker prohibition. Because you're not entering so deeply into the very substance of the entity. You're just mixing things together. And to the point where it's a mixture that can even be undone. And as a result of that, Nachmanri says, for that reason, it should not have been prohibited. The fact that it is prohibited really doesn't make any sense. And that's why he says that's one of those statues that the, that the nations of the world can laugh at. In other words, the nation, that means even people that are not accepting God's will just with simple faith, but will question what's the science behind it, what's the reason behind it, would be able to understand and explain why the mixtures in terms of plant and animal would be prohibited. Because again, you're meddling in the structure in God's, in the way God set up the cosmos. That's meddling in the way Hashem set up the world. You're interfering. And God said in this area, I don't let you mix in. Or I'm asking you, don't mix in. However, when it comes to the wool and linen, what are you doing already? It's a very, let me put it already, it's a very superficial mixture. That's the idea. It's far more in the external. And therefore, it shouldn't be prohibited. Yet it is. And the reason it is, is because God said so. We don't have. Now, Nachmanides later even applies a reason over here as well. And he says, some, and he says, it's, I mean, in the beginning, he says, there's no reason. Then he continues, and at the end of his explanation, he actually does say, says, hold on over here. He says in the end, he does give a reason. The Tam the reason for the Kalan. In other words, once we understand that God does not want us to meddle on a molecular level and mix things together, so to keep us from mixing things together, he extended that to prohibition even to lesser mixtures, where the mixtures are not so deep and not so, you're not creating a whole new entity. Similar to, remember we said earlier, one of the prohibitions regarding mixing species is you're not allowed to take two different species and have them um, work together doing one, one, one laborous work together, pulling a, a plow together. They're not allowed to do it. You're not allowed to have a wagon being pulled by a horse and an ox. And the reason for that was because if these animals are working together, they'll be kept together and that will cause, uh, that will lead to the breeding. So it's the same idea. All right. But now, so what do we see from here? We basically now have an understanding that, there, that the prohibitions about mixing are not all on the same level. The worst type of mixtures is those that involve crossbreeding and, and plant mixing. 
I don't know what actually, there must be a word for that, mixing different types. Gra- oh, that's not grafting. I don't know what the word is. Regarding um, regarding uh, wool and linen, it's much of a weaker or lesser mixture. Okay. Now let's Now let's question, how about milk and meat? Where does that come in, milk and meat? So here's we're going to see that milk and meat is somewhere in between. It's not as deep of a mixture as creating as as a mixture that has to do with the reproduction. Because you're not causing a new entity to be created that's mixing the two, these two different things that God created them separately and now you're bringing them together. You're creating your new mix as a new creature like you do when a baby is born from a mixed from mixed parents. Or like you're doing when you're mixing plants together and creating a new fruit, a new entity. Because the milk and the meat are not creating anything new. But there is a much deeper mixture than the wool and the linen. Why? Because milk and meat, biblically, I'm not talking rabbinic, biblically is only prohibited if you're cooking them together. Now, what does cooking do? What cooking does Number one, the the taste from one goes into the other, and it goes deeply into the other. Not like just wool and linen where they're technically, they're always separate. They're just standing next to each other. They're mixed, they're sewn together, but it's still separate. Here, the taste is seeping in. The milk is absorbing the meat, and the meat is absorbing the milk. But even that is not enough to prohibit it biblically. Because biblically, again, biblically, I'm not talking about Applied halacha. Applied halacha, many things are forbidden, much more than what the the biblical prohibition is. If you soak um, a piece of meat in milk for 24 hours, so for sure the the meat absorbed the taste of the milk, and the milk is going to taste like meat after it sat 24 hours pickling the meat in the milk, yet it's not prohibited. not prohibited even though it's transmitting taste as we said the only way it's prohibited is when you cook it what does cooking do because for whatever reason i don't know the science really behind it is what the cooking really is doing is that the cooking is like welding the two together it's like when you're taking two pieces of metal and you weld them together they become one entity the cooking is welding the meat and, and I'm sure many of the listeners over here have the better scientific knowledge than I do on why that would be. But the heat and the thing welds the milk and meat together to the fact that they become a new entity. So, but when they become a new entity, it's not as an entity, a new entity that comes through reproduction. Taking two different seeds and mixing them together, then you're causing the earth to mix them together. It's more, much more than cooking. Then you're causing, as I said before, completely on the molecular level, a complete change in the very, a whole new creation you're created. Same as in reproduction of animals. When mom and dad are two complete different animals. So it's a complete new entity. So that's like grade A mixture. Milk and meat together is a lesser degree. It's cooked. The cooking welds the two. So it's it's considered a new entity. But it's not as a new entity as the first case. But it's more than the mixture 
of wool and linen. So you see the three. That's why halachic. There's a the Gemara has a has a has a question regarding the prohibition regarding food. There's always the biblical prohibition against eating non-kosher food only applies. I mean to say when it's punishable, not when it's prohibited. Prohibited even a tiny bit is always prohibited. A little piece of pork is prohibited, but in order for it to be punishable, um, it requires a minimal amount. And the minimal amount usually by eating, besides eating on Yom Kippur, but everything else, uh, the minimal amount is the size of an olive. So the Talmud has a question when you milk, mix milk and meat together, but there isn't an olive size, neither of the, of the milk, and there isn't an olive size of, let's say you take a piece of butter that's smaller than an olive size. And you take a piece of meat that's smaller than an olive size, and you cook them together. Is now each one on their own don't have the olive size, but both together do have the olive size. So it's an argument between two sages in the Talmud of one is in violation. Because since you always need the olive size, and it's not the olive size. So it's, the, it's an argument between Levi and Rav, two great sages. They argue about it. Rav says, You're not. You're not punished. There is no lashes for the prohibition. Again, we're talking about this two witnesses. You know you're not allowed to. It's a prohibition. Don't get so scared. <laughs> we read all about lashes. You'd think that people were running around with whips and lashing everybody. It wasn't that way because most people behaved. <laughs> and there was, it, 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 there's a lot of conditions that need to be met. But it is in concept, yeah, it's, it's a prohibition that God prescribes the violation of it. When, when there is a, a, a government ruled by the Torah, that, yeah. So even what you do in your own kitchen is God's business and uh, is uh, destroying certain things, as we're soon going to see even deeper than what we're talking about till now. So the question is, for less than an olive size, is there, when both together, so Levy holds that it is, a, it is, it is in violation. And based on what we just said, we can understand why. The prohibition is not the milk. And the prohibition is not, sorry, the prohibition is not the milk and the prohibition is not the meat. The prohibition is the new unit that is created from the milk and the meat together. In other words, the prohibition is not in what they were, but in what they have become. And since the prohibition is what they have become, and when they merge together, they are the size of an olive. The milk and the meat have enough to combine together as an olive size. So now their combined amount is an olive size, so you have the minimal amount for the Torah prohibition. Which gives you this idea that the concept of milk and meat is that because you're forging a new entity. Okay. Based on this distinction, we're going to now revisit the idea, how come in a mitzvah scenario or in the temple scenario, the, the, the clothing mixture is permitted, the milk and meat mixture is entertained that it should be permitted, but in the end, the final verdict is that it's not permitted. And when it comes to mixing the plants and the animals, it's not even a question. No one even thought it would ever be for sure. It's pro- prohibited in all cases. 
So now we'll try to understand what's the difference if you're meddling in the work of creation and if you are destroying the very, the, the, the very you know, creatures and the entities, the, the nature that God created. God created nature. He doesn't want you to meddle with it. He doesn't want you to destroy it. And for that reason, he prohibited it. So what's it, why in a mitzvah? In a mitzvah, you could destroy the world. Aren't the mitzvah supposed to enhance the world and not destroy it? And why in the temple would an act of destruction like that be permitted? So we need one more piece over here, and then that will be understood. Besides these, this, this concept of Nachmanides, which we mentioned before, that one is creating new creatures, and as a result of that, meddling with the divine structure, with the genetic code of existence. It's a good way of looking at it. There's a genetic coding existence and you are messing in areas where God says keep out. Makes a lot of sense. He's the engineer. He's the creator of the world. And he invites us to participate. He, it's like, you know, you're invited to the pilot invites you into the cockpit to, you know, to show you around. And he wants you to, you know, move it. But then he shows you these buttons, please don't touch. <laughs> so if you're not a pilot, you would have respect and realize certain things he doesn't want you to touch. So there are obviously certain things where God invites us to participate. And then there are certain things that God says, this, you know, here is where I I figured things out. I don't want you messing with this on this level. Stay out. Um, but in addition to this teaching that Nachmanini says, we go back to Rabbeinu Bechaya. Who again, I mentioned him earlier. He's the one that says that when Mashiach comes, milk and meat will be permitted. So Rabbeinu Bachaya adds, and Nachmanides actually also mentions it briefly, but he speaks on a much more elaborate form, that the danger of what mixing these things together is not only in the physical world, but he introduces the more Kabbalistic aspect to it. And he says in addition to, because when we look at all the creatures in this world, they are backed up by spiritual phenomena. They're backed up by spiritual energies. So everything we see physically existing here is a condensed, uh, limited version of some, some power. So an apple is a force in the universe. An orange is a force in the universe. A tulip, each one of them, these are, these are the dynamics in the higher spiritual world. When they make their way down through the process of evolution that God set into motion in creation, into the physical final product of our world, they become the various different species that there are down here. And let's just say, put it this way, each creature in this world is backed up by various different spiritual beings like angels. A perfect example for that is the sages say that um, for every piece of, for every uh, blade of grass, there is an angel that stands above it that tells it grow, 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 grow. So what does that mean? Why is this angel so obsessed with this piece of grass? Why doesn't he go to someone else? <laughs> There's so many other. Why did he? Why did he get so fixed on one grass? And he's telling this one, he's not leaving it alone. And the answer is because the angel is the mother of the grass. It's like this is the the source. That's the spiritual source of this grass. So it's saying it grow means the angel is passing energy to it the whole time and stimulating it 
The physical creature is backed up by a spiritual entity. Now, these spiritual entities are set up in the system that only God set them up. So Rabbeinu Bechaya says, when you crossbreed animals or when you meddle with plants and you bring them together, it's not just a destruction taking place and down here in the botanical garden. In, in the, at the end product, it's, it's meddling with the entire wiring of the entire system all the way up in the spiritual dynamics and it's causing a mix-up in the flow of energy. And it's causing certain dichotomy and certain strife and certain spiritual wars in the heavens above. How do you like that? No, I thought about that. You're causing a major battle, a major in, imbalance in existence. Because certain forces that are better off hanging out in their own arenas, angels that don't like each other, so to speak, they're a complete different nature and they're not really good when you mix them together. So you think that, okay, what am I doing already? So Rabbeinu Bachaya says, well, wool has a special energy above. What's the source of wool? And linen has its own energy. These are energies that are meant to be kept. So the cotton goes along with, gets along with everybody. Okay, cotton is good. Other, 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 other fabrics, okay. Wool and linen, God's wisdom, they don't go together. Sometimes it's explained. It's kindness and severity. They, they clash with each other. Don't put them together. And the same is with milk and meat. Their energies above are opposite energies. And they should not go together. Over here, it's only specific creatures. And then when it comes to plant life and animals, it really applies to all aspects. Keep each one separate. Don't mix them. Because when you're mixing them, you're breeding, causing a breeding together or clashing of souls, of spiritual forces that harm the universe. Obviously, from the spiritual destruction that takes place in the upper realms, it can cause down here lots of problems. So here's the, this is what Rabbi Machaya says. But here's the question. And the Hasidic masters ask the question. The Tzemach Tzedek asks the question. Hold it. Based on this, we're saying that it's very good that every party and if you belong to a certain way of thinking, if you're a certain dynamic angel or a certain, it's better off that you hang out with the, the like-minded. You know? If you're a spiritual Democrat, then you belong amongst the Democrats. If you're a spiritual Republican, you belong amongst Republicans. Don't, go to, don't talk to each other. Does that make any sense? We know that is one of the greatest virtues is to bring peace between opposing parties. Is the harmony, is the unification, that's part of the magnificence of creation of how opposite entities and ideas, you know, fuse together to create beautiful symphony and unification, synthesis and togetherness. It's called in Hebrew, the word is called shalom, peace. And you want to bring people of opposite, you know, spectrums of opposite ways of thinking together. If that's the case, if it's a virtue in Torah to bring opposites together, how come here we say that by blending certain things together, you're causing friction because these entities are better off each one sitting on their own? For example, in, in, in Hasidic literature, in Kabbalistic literature, we talk a lot about the, the, the beauty of teferet. Teferet means the third of the, of the emotions. Teferet means beauty. And why is it called beauty? Because it's harmony. And what does it do? Exactly that. 
it unifies the two opposing forces of chesed and gavura, kindness and severity. So you see that bringing kindness and severity together is a good thing, because that's what the ferret is. That's 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 harmony. That's that's it's a virtuous thing. The sages even give us in Pirkei Avot, in in in, in um, what we call um, ethics of the fathers. The sages recommend that a person should make sure that their emotions are soft like a reed and not hard like a cedar tree. A cedar tree is firm, stiff, it doesn't budge. You know, a reed is soft. I can bend it this way, I can bend it that way. A person should always make sure that his emotions, his or her emotions are bendable. That means it shouldn't be my way or the highway. You know, I'm passionate. I fervently believe so and so. I feel this way, but you know, if you if you did opposite, I'll bend. I'll yield. Very, very important in, in interpersonal relationships and a person's ability to be able to uh, socialize with other people. People that are very stiff and they always demand and you can't budge them. They're never willing to give in. It's very hard to be in a relationship with them. So simply, a person should have. Softer, and and the idea over here is that, you know, it can be this way or it can be that way, which means the emotions is a that's a a state where the various different components of the person's soul are very balanced, and therefore are harmonized one with each other, as opposed to when there is a stiffness, and uh, and a, and, a, and a rigidity, and that rigidity causes, right, and then the person can't get along with other people that are not. And even within themselves, there is this a great dichotomy, a, gay, a great split, a great rift, and, and a lack of peace. All this is indicating that in Torah, there is a virtue of unifying opposites. And here we have these mitzvot, fundamental biblical commandments, which are saying the opposite. I'll give you another. He doesn't bring it in the talk. This is my own. I don't know why he doesn't bring it, but I would say that's obvious. How about marriage? A marriage is a unification of two species, a man and a woman. Men and women are very different. And their energies, not just physically they're different, they're spiritually different, psychologically different. The etymology of the soul is different. And Kabbalistically, they are rooted in different forces. And yet, not only is it okay for a man and a woman to live together, it's a commandment. That's the way God wants us to build the world. So what would be the difference? What is a world? How does it work? So the answer that is given is as follows. There are cases where when you bring opposite things together, the result will be peace. When the result will be peace, then it's beautiful. Then bring the things together because the result will be peace. But when the result of bringing two entities together will be a bloody nose, then don't bring them together. Make sure you stay there, you stay there. Don't try to facilitate these things because it's just not going to work. So where is it a virtue to bring things together? To harmonize the opposites. 
the place where it is the most apropos is in the realms of holiness. In the spiritual realms of holiness, it works really well. Why does it work really well? Because there is one quality which is necessary for opposing forces to get along with each other. And the quality is called, we speak about it all the time, is called the bittel. Bittel is a form of humility, acknowledgement and recognition that I am who I am, not because I am, but because I was gifted and bestowed with a certain quality and a certain energy in a certain way that I was made to be. But And I am not here to serve myself and be who I am. I am here to serve the interest of the higher being who created me to be who I am. And I am in constant subservience to the one who created me. So I'm not about me. I'm about the one who made me. And that what really what that does is it helps me lift myself up beyond me and nullify myself or surrender myself and attach myself to something higher than me. Who is that? That's God. Now, if you have two creatures that are doing that, and both of them, they might be designed and formed in a complete different form. One might be fire and the other one might be water, which clash with each other. Fire and water never get along with each other. One will always extinguish the other or whatever. It's not a good mixture. Fire has to be fire, water, water. And obviously when the fire is getting out of control, you bring the water to extinguish the fire. But water, fire, opposites. So we know there was one time that fire and water got together beautifully. And they didn't destroy each other. They lived in peace and harmony. That was when the hail came down on the Egyptians. It was hail. Hail is water. But inside the hail was burning fire. And that's why it was such a destruction. There, was, there were like bombs falling from the sky. How was the fire and the water getting together? So it says, because God asked the fire and the water for a favor. I'm using you, God says to the water, to do something for me. At that moment, the water wasn't thinking about being water and the fire wasn't thinking about being fire. They both thought about serving their creator. And when the water is serving its creator and when the fire is serving its creator, guess what? Then the water identifies not with itself, but with Hashem. So the water now kind of becomes part of God. The fire now becomes, surrenders itself to God, and therefore the fire is just an agent of God, and therefore it is not fire, it is God. And when water and fire are both God, then they have no problem living together. You see? That's the idea. When things are of two species, two opposite species don't get together. But the beauty of Bittal it is, is that when you live for something beyond yourself, and both parties are serving this one ideal then you're no more two species you're two faces of the same being now it doesn't mean that the water is not water and that the fire is not fire the water is still operating as water and the fire is still operating as fire let me ask you something by the hail In order for the hail to achieve what it needed to achieve, the fire could not drink up the water and the water could not drink up the fire. We needed 
I don't, the fire, I know what it did. It was burning. What the water did exactly, I'm not exactly sure. What the water element of, of the damage that it needed to do in the Egyptian thing. But whatever it is, we needed the water to be water. We needed the fire to be fire. We just needed them. We usually are enemies to each other. And usually one erases the other to now work together. To hold hands together while the water is being water and fire is being fire. How can water being water and fire being fire work together when water is not serving its own interests and fire is not serving its own interests, but they're serving the interest of their creator. So somehow they can get along even though they're opposites. Because they're not mixing two entities because they're in a state of surrender to something bigger than them. We find that by the angels above, by the, by the plague, by the plague, fire and water came down together. It was a one-time event in this world. But in heaven, fire and water get along all the time. It says that the archangel uh, um, um, uh, Michael, Michael, and the archangel, the Malach, Gabriel, Gabriel, are fire and water. And it says they would be at war with each, with each other. The, the, the total, they would be complete enemies. But the verse says, Ose Shalom Bimaromov. God makes peace in the higher realms. What is the meaning of Hashem makes peace? Hashem brings fire and water together, even though fire and water are opposites. He brings Michal and Gavriel, they work together, hand in hand. Why? How does he make peace? Because when they sense God, the, these angels, they sense God, they become so surrendered to God that That they melt into him. So the way the way the way it's explained is, as I said earlier, there are no more two entities. They have now now they're two parts of the same being. When do we say two entities? No, two entities don't clash with each other, but they're not two because they're in a state of surrender to something higher. However, what works in the spiritual world does not work down here. Because the nature of the way God created the physicality is within the realm of physicality, God created the creatures to be far more in tune with themselves and not surrender to God. That's what makes the physical a unique world. So when Hashem created water and fire in our world, he made the water be less conscious of its creator and he made the fire be less conscious of the creator. So here the water feels is more in tune with its own characteristics of water and fire is more in tune with its own characteristics of fire. And unless God is doing a miracle at the time of the Exodus, fire and water don't get along with each other. So for that reason, we will understand why when there is a commandment that says wool and linen don't go together, we say never mix wool and linen together because wool is kindness and, and linen is, is, uh, is, 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 is severity and uh, they're, they're, they're at clash with each other. They should not go together. It'll be a bloody situation. And basically, like we said before, the wool is pulling its energies from, from one side, the, 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 the linen is pulling its energies from the other side. You're causing a spiritual battle. It's, it's causing a, a, an enormous friction. 
not just down here, but up there above. When we say up there, we mean in the realms of up there that are dictated, that are still close to down here. That's where the war is taking place. But when you're doing a mitzvah, now we'll understand. When you're doing a mitzvah, so God is now being introduced into the equation. Because when you're pulling the wool and linen, it's the same like asking the fire and water to become hail in Egypt. It's a mitzvah. So they're not doing their own thing. When water is doing its own thing and fire is doing its own thing, they're clashing. But when wool is doing its own thing and, and, and linen is doing its own thing, they're clashing. And don't try to bring them together. However, when God is asking the wool and linen to come together for a mitzvah, so now they sense God. And they sense that they're servants of God. In serving something higher than themselves, they can go hand in hand and they don't clash. And they merge. And then what was once a problem is not a, is not a problem. It's just not there. It's actually a virtue because peace is enormous. A unification of opposites is normal. It's an enormous thing. You know, there are times when you watch people quarreling and fighting and you want to get involved. Smart person knows when to get involved, when not to get involved. In other words, there are times where you know when you can bring people together, good people, and they, and you you make peace and you bring them together, and you know that by bringing them together, you're going to be causing a harmony. And then there are times when you know that you bring two entities together and you're causing a there's no good better than the seventh better. And the same is with counseling with with uh, with, with husband and wife and marriages. Most of the times, it's a huge virtue of bringing people together. But there are cases where you recommend divorce. Because the two are going to live together. They're going to kill each other. This is not a situation. So in our case, what we're saying, when the mitzvah gets involved, that's the ingredient of bitl. In the holy temple, God is there. When Hashem is there, then, then the, wool is, wool, the wool is serving Hashem. The linen is feeling God. They get together beautifully. Let's introduce actually marriage to this. We said before, God says get married. But the only ingredient in a healthy marriage is to do so because God said so. If you're not getting married because God said so, and you're getting married because just because it's nice to get married, not a good idea. Because men and women are opposites. And they and it's not a good idea to put them together. When man and woman join together to create a unit to serve the will of the creator, they are inviting God into the relationship. And that's why actually the Torah says that ish, which means man, and isha, which means woman, have a, the ish has a yud in it, and isha has a hey in it. When you take the yud and the hey, it's God's name. The only way a marriage really works is when every day man and woman are aware of the fact that they're living together as husband and wife because God, this is God's idea. And not just God's idea, but God's recommendation. Not only recommendation, but God's commandment to them. Not only to the Jewish people, it's to all of humanity. Men and women, leave your father and your mother and go cleave to your wife, God says. So once you're doing it because God commands you, marriage is a divine institution. And it must be holy. It must have God in it. And when God is in it, you will have a healthy, happy marriage. Because in that moment, 
That's what creates the ability for the fusion to happen. Or else, it's war. Literally. And it's not a good idea. So now we understand why tzitzis, which, I'm sorry, why um, the mixture of wool and linen is permitted in the mitzvah of tzitzis, and it's also permitted in the temple service. But if that's the case, now we can ask, so how come the other mixtures are not are not permitted in the temple service? If the reason of crossbreeding and mixing things together is because you're causing a clash and therefore a a a uh, sep- a so then hold it. And but we're saying that what? That in a mitzvah where God is present, you can bring together opposites. So what's wrong with the other forms of mixtures? Why are they also not permitted in holy in a holy institution? So here, watch the brilliance. This is the Rebbe's brilliance. The Rebbe says, hold it. There's one more thing that needs to be understood when it comes to figuring out whether it, we can bring things together. And this, I think, is very, very important in today's day and age when we're watching a world that's a little confused. Here is the, here is, here's the consideration. There are certain times when you mix things together that what the mixture is doing is that it's obliterating the features that make each one distinct. When that could be the result. So basically when you're mixing two things together, there are two opposite types of results. One opposite result is you're causing a greater, each one will become further, um, right? Each one will become more stubborn in being themselves and they'll fight more. That could happen. As we said, fire and water get very nasty when they meet each other. They Suddenly they get angry. Whatever they're raging with each other. So each one actually, when, when it's faced by a challenger, becomes more firmer in who in their ego and who they are, if you might say, look at it that way. That's one possibility of a mixture. But there's another possibility of a mixture. They meet an opposite, and the fact that they're being forced to face and to meet up with an opposite, they suddenly disintegrate and collapse. They lose their identity and cease to be who they are. I'll give a little bit of example of that. I mean, possible. A, 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 in other words, the entity gets diluted and gets less and less because it's mixed. I don't know. Maybe it's a silly example. Maybe it's not exactly the accurate example. If you're making lemonade, so you're taking lemons and you're taking sugar. So lemon is sour and sugar is sweet. When you're putting the lemon together with the sugar and you're mixing it together, so the lemon is not as sour and the sugar and the sweet is not as sweet. And that's why, you know, the trial, I'm I'm not a professional lemonade maker. Once or twice that I try. So the way it works is you take, you taste a little, and you say, oh, too sour, let's add a little sugar. Then you taste it again, it's a little too too sweet. You add a lot of, you know, you got to squeeze in another lemon. So you're, so what's happening is, when it's mixing with the opposite entity, 
it is diluting it, is weakening it, and making it less and less and less. Now, what happens when you're crossbreeding something? You're taking the features of each one and you're annihilating it. Obviously, the DNA is mixing together and creating a third entity, but the previous entity that existed, the donkey, is not here anymore. You're mixing the donkey with a horse. So the donkey is not here in the horse. Now they're getting this new mule or this new creature that is, that I don't know, whatever, that, that comes out from this mixture. You've kind of um, erased and, and uh, dissolved what was before. That type of thing is, is, as we said before, weakening the creation destroying certain entities that are in creation and making them not be what God intended to be is prohibited. With plants and with crossbreeding, where you're, as we spoke in the beginning, where you're actually hitting in the reproduction of things and you're creating a new entity, this new mixture is causing the previous identity of the two to dis- to, di- to disappear. And a new entity comes out. But what was before has been destroyed. It's not like the fire and the water, that the fire remained fire and the water remained fire, and together they're acting in the will of God. It's not like a archangel um, 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 Gabriel is working together with Archangel uh, uh, um, uh, Michael, Michael and Gabriel coming together, the minister of fire and water, and they're working in harmony in a way that, 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 that there's no fire in the world and there's no water in the world. Each one has canceled. Quite on the contrary. Gabriel remains fire and Michael remains water. He remains the essence of kindness and he remains the essence of discipline. It's just that because they're lifted up to someone higher, each one is contributing as a, what they need to contribute. The fire has to contribute the fire, the water has to contribute the water, but they have to be able to transcend themselves and serve something bigger so they can work hand in hand. It's like in a marriage. A man is not supposed to lose his male, his masculinity. The woman is not supposed to lose her femininity just because she became, she's married. She needs to be as feminine as feminine can be. He needs to be as masculine as masculine can be. And him in his masculinity and her in her femininity have to live together because they're both together as man and woman serving a higher purpose. The moment we start diluting ourselves and cease to be who we are, which God created us, God doesn't like that. That's destroying his creation. We're not supposed to mellow out and cease to be who we are in our marriages, which is what we see in the world today, which everything is trying to take away masculinity from men and take away femininity from women and and, and to completely destroy the universe. That's a terrible thing. And when God created you to be something, then that's who you are. And to confuse little children like they try to do today. In which they can just elect and decide what their gender is. Is the most ridiculous, most destructive force in creation that has ever existed. God forbid. 
And that's the difference now based on this understanding. We'll understand why only the, only the mixture of wool and linen is permitted in the temple. But the mixture of crossbreeding and plant mixture is not permitted in the temple. Is an amazing feature, amazing idea. Wool and linen, when you're mixing it together, they're not creating a new entity, which means they're not becoming weaker. They're just two entities that are, shouldn't be close, as we said earlier. This is and where God is not present and therefore allowing for them to have shalom bias to live together. So in those cases, don't bring them together because when you bring them together, they will not dissolve. They will each become hardened in their who they are and they'll fight more. Obviously, you won't see the fight physically, but in the spiritual realms above, you're causing a, a, a dynamic of war and it's not good. It's like trying to make peace between two people that you know won't be peace. But what do we say? Where we don't worry about that. We don't worry about that where, where there is divine consciousness and therefore they have humility where they have humility, they will be able to get along with each other. Despite the fact that they are different, they will take each one their own talents and their own qualities and work hand in hand. That's that's beautiful. And that's a good thing. But what happens when you're doing the other forms of mixtures? You're canceling. You're taking away. You're minimizing. You're erratic. You're, you're diluting to the point that you're Making each being not to be what God made it. You're robbing it from its from from its from the gifts that God gave it. That's not okay. And that's not okay even in the holiest of situations. Even in the holiest of worlds, it is never okay. To take a feature, a energy, a form that God formed, and to strip it from those from from that—that's undoing existence, and that is an insult to God, and it's the worst thing you can do to any creature and any being. So it doesn't help the fact that it's spiritual and it's holy. When do we say spiritual? A holy environment allows for a mixture. When we're dealing with a situation that you're not destroying the properties of each being, you're not destroying it. You're, the properties will remain. The question is, will it clash or will they rise to serve something higher? They won't clash. They'll get along with each other. So in a holy environment, they will be lifted up and they will work together. In a non-holy environment, they will clash. So don't do it. That's when there is a distinction. But when we're dealing with a mixture that's destroying the properties of each one, then the factor of it being holy or unholy is 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 a non-factor. Doesn't make a difference. Which, by the way, it doesn't say this in the talk. But this is such a powerful lesson when it comes to religious institutions and religious yeshivot and study places. And sometimes, you know, you have a system, many times education systems, it's sad, 
which wants conformity, which in the name of religion, and in the name of religiosity, and in the name of, you know, expects children, teenagers, to, to behave, you know, everybody has to be in this box, has to behave like this. Without, and it's tricky, because there are, of course, rules and regulations that the Torah put. But at the same time, if you rob somebody from their identity, if you rob someone from their personal quality, if you don't allow personal individual um, personality, or you don't um, cultivate expression of personality, and you want to create one mold and erase the 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 features and the identity of 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 the various different children and students, because and just you know shove a a a a a, a one size fits all in all of them, that's criminal, and that's what we're saying over here. Even in holiness, you're not allowed to do that. Obviously, the Torah and the mitzvot, the very same Torah and mitzvot, could be observed by every person. It doesn't. It shouldn't. It shouldn't. This. It shouldn't. Anyway, quite on the contrary, it complements who we are and what we are. But sometimes it's added things that are not Torah and mitzvot, which cause this 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 uniform um, expectation of everybody. In which a person can't find their own their own self within the the the, the school within the 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 uh, the particular uh, religious or Jewish observance or so on so observant situation and that's no good. I mean, this is something that needs to be discussed independently, but this is the idea that you're seeing over here as well that even in holiness, the personality traits of each God never intends. To that, that 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 should be diminished. If Hashem created you with certain gifts and with certain talents, talents, you must cultivate it. Obviously, and the, the proper usage according to Torah and the like. I'll give you a simple example. A girl who has a beautiful voice. So there were religion, you know, in certain circles, and for sure back in many Jewish communities, because a, a woman is not supposed to sing in front of a man. So boys were able to sing and be chazanim and baletfila, you know, davin and show their voice and be and and be in choirs and 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 it was and girls have been shut down completely. So you have a good voice, so what? We can do with it. You know, I can't perform. That's very wrong. Okay, so the Torah says a girl should not sing in front of a man. Okay. So the girls can perform in front of girls and should be should be inspired and should be should be um what's it called again? Uh should be encouraged to sing, to perform, to put out albums, obviously. You know, they I see. Sometimes women put out Jewish, and they write on it that this is for men audiences, the best you can do. And obviously, people have free choice. You put something out on, on YouTube, you know, who's going to listen. But, 
But but girls should be given that opportunity. If a girl is an incredible dancer, so she should be given that opportunity to perform and to, to do that because that's the talent that God has given her. So even though within the religious conforming, it has a certain limitation. It's never okay to dismiss a talent. And that's why we say that when it comes to the crossbreeding and those things, even in the holy situations, over there it doesn't become permissible. Obviously, this if you take this to, as I mentioned earlier, to the question when this this notion that is in, in this new the, the new the, the, this new um, I don't know what, what even to call it, but the world that we're we're experiencing today, where we're educating people to dismiss their very identity that God has given them, and to take it lightly, and to decide they're not who they are, they're something else. It's almost like God gave you a mistaken body, which is not really what you are. It's obviously very foolish and very destructive and very, very counterproductive and will not bring happy people. There are some people that are gaining from this and there are some people that are confusing people and, and, and um, what's it called again, uh, trying to uh, make people think that this is the road to happiness, but it's obviously not. Um, because when Hashem created you, Hashem created you. And your creator gave you what he gave you. And that applies to who you are and what you are. And if there's a struggle, okay, sometimes there are certain struggles, but that means obviously, you know, the person has to dig deeper into themselves to be able to connect uh, as a man to their masculinity and the woman to their femininity. And I'm sure there's, you know, obviously there is certain qualities that cross over from men to women. Many times men have certain feminine entities and women have certain things, but that doesn't change your core identity. And it's obviously not something that a person can choose on their own because that's obviously a total dismissal of the feature, the essential character that God has chosen for you. And especially the wholesale element of that, as we said earlier, of confusing little kindergarten children before they even know what's flying with themselves, to start giving them this, this complete, is, is utterly insane. Okay, so now we're just going to conclude with the final question. How about milk and meat together? Milk and meat together, where does it fall? Is milk and meat together kosher in a holy state? Or is it not? Remember we said by milk and meat together, there is a question that may be yeah, but then the final verdict is that no, it's not kosher even in the Holy Spirit. Because milk and meat, one can argue, what is happening to the milk and meat? Is the milk and meat, when they come together, are, is the milk remaining milk and the meat remaining meat? And as a result of that, in a sense, yeah, because it's not like creating a whole new, a new existence. So therefore, it would be similar to the wool and the linen and since it's similar to the wool and the linen therefore just like wool and linen is permitted in a holy environment so we would think milk and meat might also be permissible in a holy environment but then the conclusion is no because as we said before even though it 
it, it, it's not a total new entity being born, but since it's prohib- prohibited is when it's being cooked, and cooking is welding it together to create a new entity. So yes, it is, this, it is making the meat be less meaty and the milk be less milky, if you can say that. And as a result of that, it's a diminishment of the qualities of each one of them when it will happen. And therefore, a holy environment will not justify and does not sanction doing it. Because again, any time that you're dismissing what God created or erasing what Hashem created is not okay. So we're left with one last thing to understand. Why when Mashiach comes do we say that milk and meat will be? Will be again when Mashiach comes, and I have to go back to what I said in the beginning. I'm not exactly sure if this is license number one. When Mashiach comes, the first thing you should do is run in and make yourself a cheeseburger. I don't know. I don't recommend it. I would recommend to wait a little bit <laughs> and hear from the high court what, where, and when. And if they give you the, the go-ahead, then, then it's okay. So now, let's see, why would it be kosher when Mashiach comes? If we are saying that what? That any time you're eradicating something, then the mixture is not okay, even in a holy environment. So why when Mashiach comes? Mashiach comes, will be holy, fine. But you're still a rat, you're, cold, you're still... Oh, so here's the idea. A very powerful idea. You see, the Rebbe, is, the Rebbe, is very, the Rebbe has a, such a sharp eye that he's able to distinguish this. And he says like this. When you're dealing with mixtures that are in the form of reproduction, so when you're, t- when, when you're creating the mixture and you're, and you're tapping the reproductive power that there is in this animal and this animal, you bring it together, you are really essentially at a very core essential level blending the energies of entity A and entity B. And if you're blending them in the physical world, it's being blended in the spiritual world as well. And since it's being blended on, and, and therefore... It's a, and that blend is true on all levels of existence, okay? Because you're really tapping, that's what you're seeing, the result is going to be a new creature. So that means on all levels of existence, you're blending it together. And what have you done? And what, is, and what did the blend accomplish? As we said earlier, the dismissal of what once, what once was, that's not okay. By milk and meat, we said before, they're being welded, by cooking it, they're being welded together. But that's on the physical plane. You're, you're, not, you're not creating a new feature, therefore tapping the spiritual energies. On the physical plane, you're taking milk and you're, meat, you're cooking it together. You're not, you're not really over here, there's not going to be a new birth of a new creature over here. To say that as a result of that, the spiritual dynamics of the milk and the meat are now merging together. So it's, it's, let me put it this way. The emergence is taking place on the, on the more surface level. It's not like wool and linen that is utterly surface, external. Here it's a true blend. On the physical level, there is a true fusion. But not on a level of energy. So, here, so here's like this. Hear this. In our current world today, when I look at a physical object, I identify the object by its external shell because our eyes only see the physical shell. 
And since on the physical shell, on the physical plane of existence, let's call that the shell of existence, we are now dismissing the, 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 we're creating a new entity and creating a new entity means a diminishment or an eradication of each one's individual properties. I'm not allowed to do that. When Mashiach will come, hear this, and God will open up our eyes. And the verse says, the glory of God will be revealed. We will see, all flesh will see the word of God. So when we will look at physicality, we won't see the physical properties. We will see its soul. We will see the spiritual energy that's that's the, the, the real essence of all of creation. We will see its spiritual dynamics. Since when you're milk, mixing milk and meat, the mixture is only taking place in the physical properties, but it's not taking place on the spiritual range. In the spiritual range, as we said before, it's not like you're taking the soul of this animal and the soul of the animal and creating a new soul. The milk and meat are only merging in your pot. It's not a new entity being created. So, if I identify reality as the physical, yes, I messed and diminished something in this world. But if we have a whole new paradigm shift, and when we're looking at the world, we don't see physicality, we see its spiritual content. And as we see the body just as an expression of the soul, and on the level of soul, the milk is still standing as its own entity, and the milk and the meat is standing. He has to blend it together in the pot. But you can still see the dynamics of the milk and the meat because they're not really merging together. Then what you have over here is you still have the two energies being distinct. But now you have the other problem. What's the other problem? When two distinct energies are distinct and you're bringing them together, they clash. But since in Mashiach's world, holiness and God will be everywhere. So humility was going to be introduced into all of existence. Even in the mundane world, not just in the spiritual, not only in the mitzvah world, even in the mundane world will be holiness. So the godly consciousness will allow the energy of the milk and the energy of the meat to get along with each other because they're both serving God. So here's the idea. The element of where you're destroying its fact, that's only taking place on the most physical level. But on the most phys- but that's only as long as our eyes are superficially seeing things on the physical level. That's when the physical is the reality. But once the physical is just an expression of the spiritual, and once we're looking deeper, when we look at, 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 at physical phenomena, we will see its spiritual soul. And on the spiritual soul, we will still see its 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 properties very distinct. No problem mixing things together. Because nothing has been destroyed. That's why milk and meat will be made, but not crossbreeding. Because over there, when you're taking this this creature and this creature and you're using the reproductive energy of it, so you're tapping the real, real, you're tapping the entire DNA of the creature, including its spiritual code, which including its spiritual ancestors, and you're unifying these two together. And this unification is coming about through creating a new entity, which means dismissing what was before that you're now allowed to even in even in Mashiach's world. So this is the there's a lot to think about, and a lot to 
a lot of guidance. I think this, this, the talk that we had tonight, I didn't really yet fully process it. I'm sharing it with you because, but I think there's so much guidance into the confusion of today's days and how to deal and how to appreciate what are the Torah essential values and how to, how to, how to navigate these last seconds as Mashiach is coming and the world is going through a lot of confusion. Of, of, of how do we, what's our Torah thinking? The virtue of harmony, the virtue, the virtue of bringing things together, but the restriction understanding that there are times when you're bringing things together and they don't work, then it's not a virtue to bring them together, which is a very important lesson. You know, not every fight or not every two people need to be put together to sit in the bus together. Not always there is the understanding that certain things are at least until there is divine inspiration everywhere that things should be on their own. The concept that when a blend is going to diminish the the, the qualities and destroy the qualities of something um, that is a not, and that's so important with our children, it's important with ourselves is the important way we view the world around us never okay to 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 um undo the gifts that god has given us i think this is this is a lot and to appreciate that and to understand that and then the idea that when mashiach comes our our very perception of the way we look at think the world will be completely different that will bring along with it new abilities, well, new forms of unifications that until now was not allowed because the physical shell, which was our reality till now, would have been dismissed. Would have, would, in that level, you are causing a disintegration. You are eradicating what was. But the fact that we will see a world and our reality, our physical perception of things will become then so tuned in with the spiritual that we see the dominating spiritual factors. And therefore, suddenly what was what was earlier considered a destruction is not a destruction now. This is a whole new this, – this also has, I feel, a lot to work with in understanding where the world is heading to. May Hashem help. Mashiach should be here tonight. And um, we will merit to see already this amazing new world of the Giyola. May it be right away. Now.